one final regular season game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's on Friday night uh, against the Ottawa Senators. Tonight, and then they got to wait almost a week before game one against the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday. Let's do a retrospective. Let's look back at the season that was with our pal, new dad, Steve Dangle. What's going on, Steve? I'm just having a great time. Just uh, I booked my vaccine appointment five minutes ago, so you boys happy. Yeah, I got mine yesterday. That is a I got happiness my first shot. Move. Yeah. Are you it's, okay? It's Did you get a lollipop? There's no lollipops. There are no lollipops. I didn't even hear anyone say, good job. You you didn't even cry, like, well done. N- none of that. Yeah. I feel fine, though. Yes, uh, my arm hurt a little bit. I will bit say, I when you get a needle, when you get a needle, I do want to hear things like, wow, you didn't complain at all. Wow, you're tough. Mm-hmm. You know, like, whenever my dentist would, like, give me my 18 needles in my mouth because of all my cavities, right. I want him Jesus. to say, like, you're a good patient. I want to hear that I'm a good patient, okay? And I want to hear lie. when I get my vaccine that it's like, wow, you didn't even flinch. Like, just lie. Just say it to yeah. say it to the people. Let us know that we're tough. Make me feel tough, okay? Just give me one moment where I feel tough. Is that too much to ask? I mean, GD, how did you get that many cavities? Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, buddy, this was a no. narrative, a through narrative. Genetic. It's genetic, <laughs> no. okay? It's genetic. No. No. Got a million cavities because for it was genetic. No. No, yeah, I actually brutal. don't eat a lot of candy. Like, I really am pretty regimented with my diet. I just, well, what it is, I didn't go during the entire pandemic, obviously, a little bit before that, too. But, yeah, um, I got soft teeth, I guess. Like, they just, also, they, they burrow in those, what? Also, is dentist is a scam artist. Is dentist, like, who's, who, no, where's the oversight? Where's the oversight? No. Where is the yeah. oversight? Who's criticizing the dentist and how no, many cavities dentist, he decides to fill. Do I think it's that actually, maybe there was one in there that was a little unnecessary? <laughs> ben, in, in that industry, it's called overbite. That's yeah. Oh, that's good. Should I hang up? That's do, I, do I hang up? Yeah, you, really can, you can go now. All right, so, yeah, I don't think, I, like, I'm not going to watch the game tonight. I don't care. Um, <gasps> I, I'm done. The season's done. Uh, I'm going to step away from the TV. I'm going to have a night away from it. It's just, it's like, it's not on my radar. Do I check in potentially? Yeah, okay, maybe just like a little bit. But there's no way that I'm going to be um, glued to it. I, I think that Leafs hockey has been brutal for a little while now. Um, they've really had nothing to play for. There haven't been any stakes. We've had weeks and weeks where we've had to talk ourselves into how big a favorites the Leafs are to get out of the North Division. And that's probably just like for some people creating more anxiety towards these playoffs that feel just unbelievably important. So I, I do, Steve, want to talk to you a little bit about the series in Montreal before we get it going because I, we haven't even really talked about it privately. But I wanted to look back a little bit today at just some of the fun stuff from this Leafs year because I thought in reflecting yesterday that a lot of it sort of got swept under the rug. It felt very, very fast. Some of it felt very, very urgent in the moment. But because of that byproduct of the Leafs being too good for the North and having that big gap in the standings that maybe we would have forgotten about a few things. So I want to go over our favorite memories of the season, uh, our most overlooked or or sorry, overrated bad takes or narratives that we had crop up, even if they weren't our own, you can, you can throw people under the bus if you want, or the, a section of people under the bus if you want in that segment, or you can take it on yourself. Uh, I'm like either way. And then the underrated leaf or memory or moment of the season. And then lastly, what we think will have defined this regular season. Granted, it's probably not going to be uh, 
discussed very much if the Leafs don't get out of the North. But either way, uh, if we ever do look back and it does become something foundational, what we'll think. So let's just start with favorite memory. And I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Steve. You're the guest. Oh, boy. I mean, back when it looked like they actually had a chance at things, uh, I was really looking forward to the Leafs and Flames building this little this little rivalry because, I mean, Matthews versus McDavid, I mean, that really writes itself. But Calgary, I, I really wanted to get a piece of the Western teams just because it felt like a rare opportunity. And the Jake Muzzin puck flip temper tantrum at Matthew Kachuk was not only highly entertaining aesthetically oh, on account of the Leafs won and we got to watch a grown man fill his diaper, <laughs> but also it appeared to ruin their entire season. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just the fallout from it, the team meeting, whatever. He doesn't feel like uh, they're sticking up for him. That one little incident after the final horn, flipping a puck limply at a logo, ruined an entire team season, and that gave me nothing but joy. This is already doing the thing I had hoped it would do and reminding me of things that I had forgotten because I had actually forgotten about that. And why not? Because the Flames have become totally irrelevant by the end of the year. And you're right. Maybe that was a non-zero part of that because it wasn't long after that there was a team meeting with Matthew Kachuk and he's got to simmer down despite the fact that he's like the only guy that cared on that team. This actually also belongs in dumbest story or personal take for all the people in Calgary who were deriding Jake Muzzin for shooting the puck like there's never been a softer shot ever towards somebody and he hit him in the logo and he did it in the face I forgot like that that's on the Mount Rushmore of horrible takes in all of sports over the last calendar (laughs) year hilarious yeah that was a bad one that was a bad one Benny do you want to go next with your favorite memory of the season Oh, God. So I, I thought this – I didn't want to go too obvious because I think if we're going obvious, it's the three-game series against Edmonton. Which That's was, what I have. Okay. Yeah. So I'll leave that one to you. Uh, I think the one that maybe went under the radar was uh, game 11 of the season where they get off to a good start, but it's a lot of really close games. Every single one of them decided by two or fewer goals, a couple of overtime games, and then they explode against the Canucks in a 7-3 win. Um, you got Matthews scoring a pair. Spezza has the hat trick, including the, the, the capper on that is like just absolutely ridiculous. We were laughing at the Canucks and the, the Dan Riccio's of the world who, who uh, talked about them being at the top of the division at the time. But that was such a – it was like a There's coronation. There's not Dan Riccio's plural. There was just two guys who did that, and they were yeah. Riccio and, and Randy, and like they were the only two guys, and they both picked the Canucks ahead of the Leafs, which is just the best thing that's ever happened. But anyway, that just felt like an – that just felt like an exultation for Leaf fans to, yeah. to watch that offense finally explode after so many tight and close games. Yeah, I, I do like that moment. I did think that was good. And I, I just like, yeah, the personalization part of that, why I love that especially, was because I did get to dunk on Riccio over and over and over and over again. And it was, it's just so fun to dunk on Riccio because he has the worst takes and he does it like consistently. If you've got to give Riccio a lot of respect, he never shies away from his bad homer takes. He has moved to Vancouver. He has embraced being a Vancouver guy. And all he does is try and uh, his, his damnedest to fit in. And it is working because all your takes are bad and you are a bad fan. I love you, Dan. Mine is clearly the, the Oilers thing. And and I I know it is the obvious one, but I just don't know how it couldn't be. The Oilers entered that series with the Leafs. They had three games. They were four points back. 
and the Leafs outscored them 13-1, to and that was with three different goaltenders. Going into that series, if you remember, the Oilers were hot at the time, and there was a lot of discussion around, like, Matthews versus McDavid and what team and how we were going to build a rivalry between these two and whether this could be hockey's next great rivalry and whether this could be Capitals and, and Penguins in a way and if there was still the North Division was being on put on the table as potential for moving forward and this was going to be the year. The Leafs, could they do this? Could they beat the Oilers? Could they lock up Connor McDavid? Connor McDavid got zero points. He had 103 this season. Mm-hmm. Like, he had a 100-point season in a shortened year and Zero of them came against the Leafs in the three most important games of the season. I'm sorry, but that matters. That is so incredible that they shut him down. And everything just worked out perfectly for them. It was kind of one of the first moments where we started to see what Jack Campbell really was, where we felt like a little bit more confidence in him. They didn't even have Matthews for two of those games. Like, part of the problem in terms of building the rivalry between these two guys was Matthews and McDavid didn't even get to go head-to-head because Matthews had an injury and he came back for game three and didn't score. So that's my favorite, was just crushing Edmonton, was crushing the city of champions, crushing all those people that really thought that Edmonton was going to be the team of the year, that their offense and Tyson Berry and all this other stuff was going to come home to roost for the Maple Leafs. It ended the season. It actually, it's my favorite memory because from that point forward, there was a little bit of a moment with the Jets. Well, they went immediately into a bit of a lull when it comes to wins and losses, right? But everybody properly judged those Canucks games like as weird. And then there was some outplaying of the, the Jets after that and losses because they ran into Connor Hellebuck. Steve, this has always been your thing that you talk about where it's been. I want Toronto to be the Death Star. And leading into that, you could really feel the hate towards the Leafs from the rest of the country because I think just about everybody in Canada, while they might not be Oilers fans, they root for McDavid, right? And they definitely want McDavid to beat the Leafs. Like, that's a thing that everyone can get behind. And that push before that series started of McDavid is going to humble the Maple Leafs, turning into McDavid gets zero points against the Maple Leafs. I'm going to remember that forever, regardless of what the outcome is this year. God, it was so nice. It was just, yes. and it was the it was the moment that the team basically decided to go all in, and then you're not going to believe this, but in the most leaf way possible, they went on to lose three straight after that. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully yeah. we don't see that in the playoffs. Hopefully we see the first three. <laughs> but yeah. it well, did then... show you though, right? It did show you what this team could be this season because yes. if there's like, and it's something that you know I'm going to get to a little bit later, but that this whole thing was the regular season mattering and style points mattering, Benny, and how this team needed to take a step and be more mature and show their best selves at the right times. And here it was, like an important time where a team was close to closing a gap and they showed them best selves. And it it really did make, I think, a lot of fans in this market and people around hockey take note that this was a different Leafs team from years past. Well, it's it's a microcosm of, of the entire season, right? If yeah. you were going to choose one game that defined the Leafs season, it wouldn't be the game that I said, the 7-3 win over the Canucks. This was not a high-flying, high-scoring offense. They could score, but it was, hey, they got two shutouts from two guys who weren't Freddie Anderson, and then Anderson allows the one goal. But the team yeah. defense, like, those were not Jack Campbell uh, stealing games no. for the Leafs. Like, there was just nothing happening for the Oilers. Also, Leon Dreisaitl cried in uh, yes. immediate Thank availability you. at the I, end I was going to close on game. that. Oh, man. Forgot I, about that. <laughs> yes. Dreisaitl cried, and that was after, remember, Dreisaitl before the series started, when the Leafs were getting hype as the best team in the division, was like, 
were the best team in the division. <laughs> he set it up as, well, we beat them in a game. And everyone went, huh, but they have a better record and they beat you more. And he still did the thing leading into it of, we're better and we're being overlooked. And he played the card of Toronto's getting the media attention because they're Toronto. And then they get thumped and he only had one point and it was an assist. So, and then he cried. And it was a big cry fest, and it was amazing. And then their media cried because people asked him a hard question, and the fans oh, were like, right. why did the media guy oh, ask him guy. if it was embarrassing to the player? <laughs> Again, City of Champions. That's what they call themselves. It's the best. It's the absolute best, Edmonton. Thank you for coming out. That's the favorite moment of the season. The Leafs got to look their best. All right, let's go to most overrated slash bad take slash narrative. To me, this one is also pretty obvious, but uh, maybe we come up with some different answers. Steve, let's start with you again. Ooh, uh, overrated. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with the recent one. Um, and uh, it's mind-blowing to me that this many people are worried that the Leafs are going to somehow magically, mystically lose their entire minds and start Freddie Anderson game one of the playoffs. I, I don't know why. Like, what have the Leafs done to hurt you recently. What what have they, listen, you, we can disagree with this guy shouldn't be on that line. I wish they would have traded for that guy. I can't stand this guy. I don't want him on my team. But what have the Leafs done to let you think they're stupid? <laughs> I don't understand. They have a goaltender who has a nine two three save percentage and a record of seventeen two and two. And you think they're gonna go with the guy who hasn't played for two months. Go to therapy. I've I've done it. I highly recommend it. Um, the Leafs don't come up very often. Believe it or not, it's for other stuff. But who hurt you? Who hurt you? The answer is not Jack Campbell. They're going to play him, guys. Shut up. Who, who are these people? Because even big Freddie Anderson Twitter. stand over here, J.D. Bunkus, has long come off that take. But I, I don't doubt that those people exist. And you probably uh, have a closer relationship with them considering all your social media platforms. But, yeah, I can't imagine anyone still on that on that island at this point. Yeah, I didn't but, like the okay. stank you put on that there, Ben. I didn't like the stank you, you put on that. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> no stank. I was the one who created the Freddie Anderson's not really hurt they've promised him game one conspiracy theory yeah, to put him on LTIR. Yeah. So that felt like a little bit of a personal attack, but that's fine. Yeah. I said it was a conspiracy theory. <laughs> I said that I put my tinfoil hat on. That said, yes, the the closer and closer we got to the postseason, the more and more apparent it was. There was a little moment, I think, when Jack Campbell started to have a lull in his play where people wondered, wow, is he going to be able to sustain this? So I think it was fair at that point. But yeah, basically oh, yeah. it was the last Better couple of weeks. Part of a month ago. Yes, I know, but that's what I mean. The last couple of weeks, when you've stepped back and you've looked at the entire picture, it's been impossible not to. And we talked to Kevin Woodley yesterday, who had some really good points about the Leafs goaltending and kind of the state of it and where it's at and what kind of a goaltender Jack Campbell has been. But, yes, at this point, there's no chance. There's no debate. The only question at this point remains to be, uh, what are the circumstances that could get Jack Campbell taken out of the net and not when it's going to happen? So, yeah, you're right. That was a bad one. For me... It was, what's up with John Tavares? And I participated in it, and everybody participated in it, and a lot of people were combining him and William Nylander together. And so I, I just think that actually the criticisms of Nylander were a little bit more fair. I think that he actually shut people up and that he changed his season, but that, again, it was kind of closer to a, your average Nylander season. With John Tavares, 
there is always a fair conversation about what the contract is going to look like in a couple of years or whether he should have been the captain and blah, blah, blah. Like, I get it. There's a lot of those things. But ultimately, like, the hand-wringing that happened with Tavares turned out to be, you are very stupid for having done it for this reason. The defensive commitment that he made this season is why he's the captain. That's why you go out and get leaders, is guys who do it by example. We always knew when Tavares came to Toronto that he was not going to be the vocal guy, that he was not going to be the one who stumps in the middle of the room and tries to tell guys to get in line, that his role is always going to be do it by example. If you look at John Tavares' numbers, across the board, they are almost all the same. It's just his shooting percentage basically dipped down a little bit this year. His points per game were a little bit down this year uh, because of it. But ultimately, like, pretty similar guy. You know where you really notice the difference is in his expected goals against. And I know that's not a perfect statistic, but it dropped by more than half this year. His, like, uh, expected plus minus, which, again, are statistics that are always really hard for me to completely understand. But it went up by a really, really significant margin from a season ago. And it's because this guy committed to defense in a way. And he still really did provide a lot of offense. So when I just look at the year as a whole, and now that I step back at everything that happened, once he and Nylander started to click, and frankly, once they got Galchenyuk, which gave them a little bit more of an offensive boost on their line, I thought John Tavares' season was probably one of the more underrated. Uh, like, I could have put it into the most underrated Leaf category, but I think that when it comes to overrated bad take narrative, reacting to a guy who's had a complete track record since he was 19 years old of being a dominant player in the NHL as being over the hill, and I said it, like, that he looked slower at times at age 30 was one of the stupidest things we could have possibly done, and I feel so embarrassed that it ever happened. He never really, if you if you look at, like, his game-by-game or week by week, he never really stopped producing. It was the goals weren't going in. And he was like, he was still getting assists and things like that. I always say he's one of my favorite players to learn hockey from. Um, Like someone was asking me that, like, Hey, I'm a new viewer. Who's a player I should watch. Any dummy can watch Mitch Marner or Austin Matthews and go, Ooh, and there's, you know, let me not insult them. They do little things in their game too, obviously. But just a guy who does not and has never relied on his speed like John Tavares, I think he's going to age like a fine wine, sort of, because, I mean, he's again, he's never had to rely on it. He he was never even the fastest guy in his line going all the way back to junior. And you look at the score sheet, and you're like, where did those two assists come from? (laughs) Because that's just what he does. He puts up points. He was desperate enough to switch to Pierre Engvall's stick and (laughs) – the darn guy made it work. He's unreal. See, I, I thought about this one too, and okay, I, I thought about it in a different take than you obviously had your own personal one about the slowness, but I just remember it being he had two even-strength goals through 25 games, and I actually yeah. kind of thought that was a fine take. Yeah, the guy should have been producing more five-on-five, five, and guess what? He did. He finished the season right where he should have been with the goal scoring. Yep. Like, if we're, we're talking about your take, yeah, you're right. That was outrageous, but I think it was a fine take if you had no, the take but of we this were guy's overlooking, not scoring enough. No, we were overlooking the defensive commitment early in the season, and we were listening to Sheldon Keefe say it, and it mm. was, yeah, this feels like a way that you're sheltering your guy. 
And in actuality, when you step back and you look at the season and you look at the defensive metrics and what he did and what he put together, it's like it's actually apparent now that we have a sample of what he was doing all year long and that there was far, far, far greater emphasis of this guy to say, we're going to be a better defensive hockey team and I'm going to lead this in terms of guys. No one changed more from a number standpoint defensively on the Leafs than John Tavares. Nobody. Right. Not a well, single and soul. Nobody and nobody was CJ, hotter goal scoring by the end yep. either. And CJ is the only guy that I heard that kept trumping it around, who never wavered, who never had one John Tavares criticism, who kept bringing up the defense, who kept saying that it was a huge part of his game. CJ said it all along, and I was pushing back at him all the time because I was with you and I was talking about the even strength goals, and that's what he's paid to do, blah, 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 blah. It was wrong. It was a wrong take. He didn't produce enough. You're right in that. But the amount of criticism that it got and the amount of attention and the amount of the little that it, he got for positive reasons was absolutely part of it. Well, now that we're here criticizing your horrible takes, uh, mine for this category was it was the reason why one of the three of us lost our fake medical license for a while. It was J.D. Bunk mm. is talking about Austin Matthews needing off-season surgery, that there's something they're not telling us. It wasn't a take. It was, what are you talking about? How was that not I a take? I said I was you... worried that the potential of the injury was worse than it might have been. They had three goals in the 10 games coming off the wrist injury. So that was not a bad take in retrospect? I didn't. It was the take was simply that I'm worried that this is it. It wasn't that I was like, he's going to have, I didn't report something. You're making it seem as though like I reported he was going to have a, I, gonna have, I almost swore there because I'm so mad that you brought that up <laughs> as a take. It's like, no, that wasn't a take. That was a, hey, this guy's not scoring. He doesn't look healthy and they're playing him in games when normally they should be resting somebody and they get better. And that theory got debunked, you see, because it's your name. You see? Do you yeah, see? Yeah. Did, did you hurt. see? That hurt. Guys? Okay. It was very, so should I hang up been, again? Yeah, you should. Underrated Leafs memory or moment. Something that maybe we don't look at or that we forget about, Steve. Um, uh, leave it to me to go with the most underrated thing of all time, an empty net goal. Um, I, I go back to very early in the season because the Leafs season started like pretty typically leafy. They beat Montreal in the first game. Yeah, there was the cool Wayne Simmons fight. They overcome a two-goal deficit. They win it in overtime. That was cool. Second game, they, uh, Ottawa gives them way more trouble than they should. That's annoying. They redeem themselves for the next game. The fourth game, a 3-1 victory over the Winnipeg Jets. Not only were the Leafs stingy, not only... He, Here's how long ago January 18th was. The Jets had four power plays, scored on none of them. The Leafs only had one and actually scored. But the underrated moment, Mitch Marner has a clear path at an empty net. He fires the puck into it, and Neil Pionk comes across the ice, and he tries to tear a chunk out of him. And as Mitch Marner scores the goal to ice the game, he points at him and he says, something I assume you cannot say on the radio. Then it turns into this big brouhaha, and uh, the Leafs didn't end up playing the Jets for, I think it was over a month after that, but the whole time I was like, I cannot wait until the next time they play the Winnipeg Jets. It was on my mind for the rest of the season, and by the time it was all said and done with their series, well, I guess it's all said and done after tonight, but up until Game 9, by the end of Game 9, they were crying about, oh my goodness, the Toronto Maple Leafs are dirty. Get out of my face. Yes. It was a clear sign 
you know, because Wayne Simmons gets into that fight in the first game and we're like, there he is. We got the sheriff, you know, but it's not his job to fight the fight for the Leafs. It's his job to help drag them into the fight. And when I saw Mitch Marner barking at someone game four of the season, I thought, hell yeah, this is a totally different team. And they are. Yeah, they are. Uh, my underrated storyline is just, I mean, Jason Spezza in an overall sense, like 30 points in the season, but he's 26th in points uh, per 60 per wow. game. That's insane. So that's here are the, some of the names that that's better than. It's better than William Nylander. It's better than John Tavares. It's better than Alex Ovechkin. It's better than Evgeny Malkin. It's better than Kaprizov. It's better than Braden Point. It is, it's insane that this guy is barely scratching 10 minutes a game, put up a 30-point season, and obviously, but never from him did you hear the, the clamoring for more minutes. We heard it from this show, and we heard it from mm-hmm. some of the guests that we had on this show, and you do wonder... And you do wonder what it would have looked like if you expanded the minutes a little bit more. But it's impossible to argue with the production you got from Jason Spezza in such a limited role on this hockey team. And, yeah, he doesn't deserve the, the headlines that the, the top six guys get. But that it, remarkable. 26th in the National Hockey League in uh, points per 60. I, I love both I of your guys' choices. I, I think you're putting way too much emphasis on a guy who only has 24 points. I mean, that's not that impressive talking about a guy who only has 24. Oh, sorry. I'm looking at Josh Anderson's page. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. Jason Spezza has 30. Awesome. Good for him. Oh, that, that felt, uh, that felt fun. I, I, just, I love I both love your digging into that. I love both your choices. I totally forgot about the Pionk moment, and I, I remember even thinking at the time that that was a good first step into a season of animosity. It turned out, again, that like this is why I wanted to do this, is because the North Division was really, really fun to start the season. It's just that the Leafs were too good. <laughs> like, straight up, the Leafs being so good kind of ruined the division. And looking back on this stuff has been one of the like more fun parts of this, is remembering how good the season has been and how pivotal it is. And the, the massive amount of, yeah, just change that this group has made throughout the year. And, Ben, I like yours, too, because I'm a huge Jason Spezza fan. I'm always the guy who is texting about Spezza. But when you put those numbers in perspective, yeah, it's, it's hard not to say that even for a show like this, where I think at one point I said that Jason Spezza is the sixth or seventh most important Leafs forward, uh, that he is still kind of underrated. Mine is just Jake Muzzin. It's that he's the most underrated Leaf. And TJ Brody was phenomenal this year. It was an incredible signing. Um, That's the guy that Dubas wanted originally instead of Tyson Berry in that deal. And, of course, it fell apart because Kadri didn't want to go to Calgary. And and I couldn't help but think about how different it would have been had that trade gone down that way and whatever else would have come in that direction and not having gone through a Tyson Berry season and blah, 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 blah. But we always give more credit to the new guy. And that's fair, because I think that if you said T.J. Brody has been the Leafs' best defenseman this year, I wouldn't really push back. But there's always a tendency to kind of overlook, to me anyways, a guy that you already have. And the guy I just trust the most on the Maple Leafs is Jake Muzzin. He's actually a vocal leader. He's someone who seemingly makes the right play all of the time. Like, do you have any memories this season of of him having a horrific turnover? Like, or him having just a a, a horrendous game? I think that he elevates Justin Hall, that Hall owes him his career in a lot of ways. Like, the fact that we look at him and he's a top four guy, 
Um, I don't think that that's Justin Hall's career trajectory, if, if not for Jake Muzzin. And when I look at the most important pieces, or when I even think back to last year when Muzzin got hurt and how that changed the calculus, I still feel that moving forward, that this guy is one of the most irreplaceable Leafs, that he is the most irreplaceable guy on the blue line. And ultimately, if you're looking at guys that you cannot afford to have taken out of this, Jake Muzzin is way higher than I think that he would be if people were just compiling a list of their favorite Leafs. He's just, he's never really given any credit. And it's for the reason that he does everything in silence and he moves like it's it's genuinely the leaders move in silence move. He's that guy. And I, I've just come to appreciate him a lot more throughout the year. I don't I don't know why you're praising a guy who does violent acts like yeah, limply throw a puck at someone's yeah. crest. Dude. Have you ever gone like deep dive? Because I did this because we were going to talk about our our most underrated Leafs uh, with uh, Justin mm-hmm. Warren at one point, and we just never got around to it. So I did a deep dive on Muzzin because obviously he's the most underrated Leaf. It, like, mm-hmm. look at the on-off numbers when yes. he's with Hall and when Hall's on the ice without him. It is there's like said, nobody that's in, in, impacted. Like it, the eye test doesn't even do the numbers justice. It's insane how different it is. Oh, I try not to think about life without Jake Muzzin. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, it's funny because we do all these things of, and and this is it. Like we'll go out on this, which is just you know what defines this season. And clearly, I already hinted at some of it, and Steve, you did too. It's like they got tougher. They got tougher, and that was both like with actual fighting, but also with the way that they played and the way that they stood up for themselves and the roster composition. Of course it is. They committed to team defense, but yeah, just when I think about those things, I I really do think about Jake Muzzin, that he's just a hard guy to play against. He made those commitments, but that also to me, the season is defined by Kyle Dubas um, adjusting his scheme, adjusting and tinkering and looking at last season and saying that like they actually needed to make those changes implementing them from a roster standpoint and an emphasis standpoint from top to bottom because I do think that the players deserve a lot of credit. Like They're the ones who go and execute it. They're the ones we talk about, but good organizations, it usually starts at the top and for the Maple Leafs, the way that they committed to the roster, the way that they made those changes, that to me was the big signifier of how a lot of this and how all of this became. I just just can't see them losing the way that they've lost in recent years Mm -hmm. again. I, d- I just don't see it. That'll be a listen, different, not... more heartbreaking way. <laughs> listen, not every team can win the cup. There's only one. But if they're going to go down, they're not going to go down without a fight. And it's going to be awesome to watch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have put it that way. It's going to be awesome to watch after I just said it's going to be heartbreaking and horrible. But I don't. I actually don't think it will be. And, uh, yeah, you're right, Steve. It's always great to chat with you. It's been too long. Uh, have a great weekend, Steve. You as well, boys. You as well. And and try not to come up with like weird theories about Austin Matthews and his wrist, eh? Mm. No, <laughs> yeah, I refuse. That's who I am. I'm a guy who puts well, conspiracy hats on. S- somehow he got his fake medical license back after it was removed. Yeah. I, I, don't, I forget the, the situation that happened in. But, yeah, he has it back. See you, Steve. See you guys. Uh, Steve Dangle.